All right, I'll get your Bibles this morning, turn to Genesis, the book of Genesis chapter number 32 this morning. Genesis chapter 32, again, pray for Pastor, he's not feeling well, looks like he's got a, a case of uh, um, the, uh, the flu or something like that, he's been coughing and congested and everything else, so keep him in prayer, uh, hopefully he's, uh, you know, around the curve and over the bend or whatever, um, <clears throat> so... Again, pray for him. Uh, but this morning, we're going to try to just get a couple thoughts here from uh, Genesis chapter number 32. I'm going to start reading in verse number 21. Verse number 21. So when the present was over before him, he himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives, his two women servants, and his eleven sons, and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go. For the day breaketh, and he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for allowing us to be in church here this morning. Father, I pray for a special blessing for all that have come out, Father, I pray as we open up the book this morning, God, that you give us understanding from this passage. Father, I pray that you'd be with my mind and my heart and cleanse me in the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, help me to convey the thoughts that you've placed on my heart. And I pray, Lord, that do it in such a way that would be helpful to these that have come. Undoubtedly, Lord, they came here to hear from you. And I realize, Lord, I can do nothing without you. Father, I've got nothing to say. I'm not smart enough. I'm not eloquent enough. I don't have enough ability, Lord, without your hand, without your help. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, fill me with the Holy Spirit now in this moment. And, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would bless us, Lord, as we set aside this time to hear from you. Father, help us not to go home hungry. Lord, help us to get what we need out of this passage, what you have for us this morning. I pray you'd help me to get out of the way that you might get something accomplished in the hearts of these people. We love you. We thank you, Lord. We pray that you'd be with our pastor now as he's sick and heal him up and bless him as he's recovering at home and getting some rest. And God, just I pray that now you'd meet with us here uh, at this church uh, at this time as we open up your book. And we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. A little bit of history of the passage. Obviously, the main character uh, here is, uh, is Jacob. And uh, Jacob, he's got a, quite the track record for making problems for himself. Uh, he's, he's about to be faced head on because, you know, the old, the old saying goes, you know, you reap what you sow. <laughs> and, uh, and you know how uh, it was always described to us, you know, you, you sow a bunch of seeds and then you realize you're praying for a crop failure. <laughs> well, uh, his, his crop's about to bloom <laughs> is what's about to happen here. He finds himself in a situation, and really, in all honesty, of his own making, uh, where he's about to go head to head with his brother. And the last time Jacob has seen his brother, just to bring a little bit of uh, context to, to the situation, uh, he had, uh, had st- already stolen the birthright 
you know, by, with the, the pot of lentils with his brother. He comes in out of the field famished, and he needs something to eat. And he says, well, give me your birthright. I'll give you a bowl of, you know, chili or whatever. And he says, okay, what's this birthright going to profit me? Uh, I'll go ahead and, and, and take this bowl of chili because I'm pretty hungry. And so Jacob, he takes the birthright from his brother Esau. And then some years go by, and it comes time uh, where Isaac, their father, is, uh, his eyes are dim, and he's obviously not long for this world. And uh, he goes out and sends Esau out to, uh, to fetch him some venison that he loves. And during that time, with the help of his mother, Jacob betrays, or, uh, or excuse me, rather, um, he deceives his father in thinking that he's Esau, and he steals through deception, not just the birthright, but the blessing that Isaac was going to give to his eldest son, Esau, right? And so if you know how the story develops, obviously Esau was not, you know, he didn't just take it well. He was a little bit upset about that. And, uh, and he says, when the days of mourning of my father are completed, I'm going to kill my brother. And, he got, he was so, and, and Esau was so full of anger and bitterness and wrath, he, he even looked at uh, uh, the advice that Isaac gave to Jacob and said, do not take the, the, you know, the, the women of this country here, you know, just take, take a wife of your own people and all this different stuff. And, and Esau, with such vitriol in his heart, says, oh, dad, is that, is that what you want? You don't, you don't want Jacob to take? And you know what he does? He goes down and takes some wives of that nation down there. Just to spit in the face of his father and just, to, and just to show the disdain that he has for his brother. And of course, you know what happens. The word gets back to Jacob. He says, okay, I'm catching the first train out of town. And he goes and he's been working for Laban for several years. And you think, well, he'd obviously learned his lesson. <laughs> you think, man, with a reception like with the reaction of his brother, you'd think that maybe, just maybe, he would try to be on the up and up, and you know, maybe I should just do things. I'll turn over a new leaf, you know. And he gets over there with Laban, and he tries his hardest. But when things aren't going his way, he resorts back to that old manipulative, natural way of doing things, because that's what his name means. His name means to be a supplanter, a surmiser, a manipulator. He's out for number one. He's out for himself. And he'll do whatever. He will use whoever to get what he wants. He's just that kind of a person. We would call those people now resourceful. <laughs> right? It's a great attribute to have. We call them resourceful. We call them creative problem solvers. <laughs> Amen. Take that for your core values, right? We are creative problem solving right now. Why? So I come out on top, right? He, uh, he, he, he is faced with a situation of his own doing. And then he finds himself doing the same thing with Laban. Manipulate and you say, how did he do it? I have no idea. There's, you want to talk about hitting two for two this morning. There's two things I'm talking about that I have no idea how it happened. The whole ring striking and then the little the, the 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 rods and reeds and stuff put him. I can't explain how that is. I was a farmer. I still don't know how you do that. But anyways, he figured it out and he did it and he took all them. Ended up you know basically robbing his father-in-law and uh, and and taking everything he has. And he has just come through that and now he gets word that Esau is just a few clicks ahead of him and he's coming his way. And that man starts to sweat. And you know what? Sometimes we tend to have character flaws and we tend to have things in our lives that 
create problems for us. Anybody in here ever had a problem come right on your front door and you're like, this is my fault. (laughs) I caused this to happen, right? And uh, as he's doing that, how does he respond to the problem? Well, he does exactly what he's always done. He does what's natural. If you look at, we won't go through in detail, but verses 3 to 8, he starts surmising his plan. I mean, he's, he's, his mind is, is going. He's like, well, I'm going to send messengers before me. I'm going to do some reconnaissance work, you know. And uh, what is he doing? For all intents and purposes, he's just he's relying on his intellect. He's relying on his mind. He's relying on his ability to gather information and to strategize and to see the playing field and to see all the different facets that are at play. And if I do this, he's going to do this. He's playing chess in his mind. With his life. And he's trying to figure out his next move. Matter of fact, he's not just trying to figure out his next move. He's trying to figure out his next five to ten moves. And you notice the first thing he does is that's exactly what he starts doing. He starts surmising. He starts supplanting. He starts trying to figure the thing out. And he never prays until verse 9. He never prays till verse 9. He's relying on his intellect. He's relying on his money. Look in verse 5. He says, and I have oxen and asses, flocks. That's the currency. Now he says, I have those. Well, who do you take them from? <laughs> well, that's not important. The fact of the matter is, is I have them and they're at my disposal. And I can do with them what I want. And I can buy favor and I can buy leverage with what I have. Does that sound like <laughs> familiar? <laughs> Especially the American Christians today, because after all, if, if it doesn't work out, you can just put it on the credit card. Right? You know what? You're actually broke, but you got $20,000 of credit, and so you're actually rich. <laughs> and then old reliable, he, he, he starts to manipulate other people. Right? He says he's got, in verse 5, what does he say? He says that he's got men servants and women servants. And he can manipulate those people as pawns on a chessboard to accomplish the goal, to protect himself, and to make himself come out smelling like a rose. Ladies and gentlemen, here this morning, what is he doing? He's doing whatever comes natural to him. Can I tell you this? Each and every one of us in here have that tendency. You say, well, I would never do something. You wouldn't? (laughs) Are you sure about that? (laughs) You sure that, oh, I would never, I'm always careful saying, well, I would never do. Well, I'm not sure about that. Enough pressure put on you and a big enough problem comes around. When you think your head's about to roll, you'd be surprised what you do. You'd be surprised what you say. Someone says, well, you need a transplant. Someone says we need this. You'd be surprised how quick the checkbook comes out. We're going to fix this problem. We're going to take care of this. You'd be surprised who you start talking bad about when the situation comes and the finger is going to be pointed at you and you start to blame other people and say, well, they did this and they did this and you start manipulating people's minds based on the information you know and you start telling people to make you look good so you talk bad about somebody else. You would never manipulate people that way, would you? It's a natural tendency that we have as human beings. Not only that, he starts praying in verse 9. And if you, and I don't know about you, but I, as I read this prayer, 
I cannot help but notice that he mentions himself 12 times in four verses. I just can't get over that. <laughs> he never mentions the reason why Esau is mad at him. He never repents over his, his uh, wrongdoing that caused this situation. He never asks for forgiveness from God. You know what he says? He says, um, uh, 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 Lord, uh, Jacob said, Oh my God, Father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, uh, that said unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will, uh, I will deal with thee. I am not worthy, and the lesser, lesser of thy mercy is the truth, and which hath shown upon thy servant for my staff. And I passed over the Jordan, and I became two bands, and delivered me, and I pray, and of my brother. And what's he doing? He's starting to play the victim. You know what he's doing? His manipulation, and you don't have to raise your hand here. <laughs> you ever been praying and realize that you leave out key details to the situation while you're praying with God as if you can manipulate God and answer in your prayer? <laughs> That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. He's not mentioning anything he did wrong. He's saying, oh, God, well, you said this. He's trying to manipulate God. He's saying, hey, you told me <coughs> you were going to multiply my seed as the stars of heaven. He's going back to a promise he gave. You say, well, that's how you're supposed to pray. You're supposed to quote the promises. Okay, but can you be honest at the same time? Can you be honest with yourself? Uh, Lord, I messed up. And I know you promised this, but I got to get this thing straightened out. Because if you're not going to do your part, where's God, God's obligation to do his? He's being deceptive to the Lord. He's not just trying to manipulate people and manipulate a situation. He's trying to manipulate God in his prayer to the Lord. So not only is he doing what comes natural, when he realizes what's going on, tell me if this sounds like human nature, he desperately... Tries to get spiritual. <laughs> it's like, okay, I think I got a plan in place. I think I got the pieces moving, right? And then they come back and they say, oh, yeah, by the way, he is coming. He's got 400 guys with him. <laughs> He's like, okay, time to pray. <laughs> right? Time to pray. It's like, wait a second. I, I had it covered if he had like 20. <laughs> but I, he's got 400? We better get God involved in this situation. Anybody ever been like that? Once you realize your plan wasn't good enough, and it's like all of a sudden it's like, okay, we got to get spiritual now. Right? Let's get in the closet now. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need this. Lord, and you're coming to him in desperation, and you're coming to him like I need to get God into what I've already decided to do. And now what you've done is you've put God in a situation where he has to manipulate circumstances for your benefit. That's why we don't gamble, folks. <laughs> you understand? That's gambling. That's me putting money on the horses and saying, Oh, God, please bless these horses. <laughs> what are you doing? You're asking God, you're asking God to, to manipulate circumstances for your benefit. God ain't going to do it. Wealth gotten by vanity should be diminished. It's not just because gambling's bad. There's a principle behind it. Well, what's he doing? He's gambling. 
He's put all his chips where he's going to place and say, all right, God, I need you to come through now. So many times we do that. We put God on the back burner, on the back burner. We do what we want to do. And then when things don't work out and things look like pretty grim and things are getting really bad, we say, okay, God, time to show up. I'm going to put in my 15-minute four-verse prayer here and you need to do something. And you know what else? You know how I know that I can relate to Jacob? Because you know what he does in the next 10 verses after that? He goes, he diverts right back to doing what comes natural. He doesn't so much as say amen. You know what he's doing? He's working the plan. Working the plan. Working the plan. You get here. Listen, when you see Esau, you're going to meet him first, and then you're going to give him this, and then you're going to say this. Make sure he's got a script. He's, he's, tell, he's, like, he's like an insurance salesman. He gives him a script. He's like, if you just say this and you make 250 calls a day, you'll make this amount of money. Right? He's got it all worked out. And he diverts right back to what he does naturally. And now he's saying, okay, well, I've got God where he's supposed to be, but I've got my thing over here. And you know what? I don't think, I don't think Jacob, this is not an indictment on Jacob's love for God. Does that make sense? Right? Because, I mean, it's, 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 it's the same thing as, as Solomon, right? Solomon, he got off the rails towards the end of his life. But the Bible says that Solomon loved God. Right? So just because we have some natural tendencies, just because we have some natural flaws, doesn't negate the fact that we love the Lord and want to do right. Matter of fact, God has worked it out for him thus far. God has worked in Jacob's life thus far because his eye has always been on spiritual things. He has a spiritual mind. He's going after the Lord. There's no doubt about it. Just a few chapters before, he, he confirms the, the, the covenant that he gave Abraham with Jacob and continuing through Jacob. That he was gonna, and he's going to raise up seed and all this different stuff. He confirms that with Jacob. But what we find out is that he goes right back to doing what he's doing. And he requests God's deliverance in verse 11. But look at what he says in verse 20. He says, I will appease him. You ever done it? Lord, I need help here. Lord, I need you to come through here. And then in the back of your mind, you're going to do it. He's requested that God appeases the wrath of his brother. And then what does he say after he works his plan? He says, I will appease him. I'm going to move forward. He has a spiritual goal in mind. He has a desired outcome that's a good outcome. And he's tried to pin God on the mat, right? Because now he's got this circumstance, and now he's trying to get God involved with his plan, and he's trying to, he's trying to act spiritual. He's, he's, he's learned how to play spiritual while he's acting carnal. And he says, I'm going to appease him. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it myself. And see, there's two types of interpretations of this if you read, uh, if you read some commentaries on this. Uh, one man says, this is evidence that prayer without effort is doomed. So see, he prays and then he puts his nose to the grindstone and he follows through with his plan. Showing that you can't just pray, but you have to pray and then action has to be made with what you've prayed about. 
And I would say, if that's your, if, if that's your, if that's your flaw in your life, where you tend to pray and then do nothing and just, I'm just going to rely on God, man. <laughs> I'm just going to let God do it, man. Like you got this like little hippie attitude or whatever, you know. I've met people like that. I met people like that in Bible college, man. They come to me and they're like, Brother Joe, we're going to pray all night. It's a Tuesday. I have to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? We're going to have a prayer meeting all night long on Tuesday? <laughs> We could do it on Friday, <laughs> you know, something like that. But you know what? Those guys didn't do nothing. They took no responsibility for their actions. They didn't even make it through school. But they were, they were praying all night long, and they were requesting. They, they asked me one time, they said, Brother Joe, we want to have a revival meeting. And I'm like, you're a bunch of, like, first-year students. What are you doing? I was a third year. They said, they said, we want you to come to our house and preach at us. I was like, y'all are stupid, man. I said, what'd you do? I went. <laughs> I went, man. I went and they had a little pulpit they set up like on the back of a chair. They had a little reclining chair. They had a little piece of wood on it. I'm going to put my Bible on it. It's rocking, you know. And uh, he said, what'd you do? I just yelled at him for an hour. <laughs> That's all I did. I didn't have anything to say. But I thought it was funny, you know. But the thing was is, it's like, what are those guys doing? They're, they're all about the spiritual stuff, the spiritual stuff, but there's no substance to it. That's not Jacob's problem. Jacob's problem is that he's trying way too hard. And he's putting, he's putting his blood, sweat, and tears into something that can't be accomplished with blood, sweat, and tears. You see, he's praying and he's ignoring his prayer and he's going after what he's going to do. See, there's a prayer without effort, and then there's a prayer without faith. And Jacob's praying a prayer without faith. And so, no, I don't think that it was, it's evidence that, oh, well, you have to put your nose to the grindstone after you do it. Okay, there's a, there's, a, there's a situation for that, but what are we dealing with in this passage? We're not dealing with that in this passage. Jacob has shown a history of manipulating situations to get what he wants in the light of being spiritual. You understand? And that's a problem. Especially if God wants to make a nation out of you. Especially if God wants to accomplish something great with you. There's a real problem when you try to manipulate the situation to where you come out on top when you're doing God's work. It may work in the world. It may work in certain other circumstances in your life. God may allow you at the juncture of time that you're in now to operate that way. But if you're going to go to another level, if God's going to accomplish something with you that he really wants to accomplish, we're going to have to weed that problem out real quick. Jacob has a character flaw. You see, his motives were good, but his methods needed changing. You know what the hardest thing to do in life is? Change yourself. Changing yourself is really, really hard to do. Had a lady one time in church, not this church, different church. She, uh, she was mad at me on a regular basis. <laughs> we had that kind of a relationship. Uh, she was an older lady. Uh, I went to Bible school with her son, 
And uh, she eventually, many years later, was in the church that I was in. And, uh, and for whatever reason, she was just, you know, we, we just, I'm an Italian. I was a lot, I was, I was worse than I am now. I'm just being honest. I was worse than I am now as far as button heads and, you know, and just being stubborn and that kind of thing. Well, she was equivalent. I think she was German. And so, I mean, <laughs> Italians and Germans, I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> Not a whole lot getting accomplished there. You know what I'm saying? Well, <laughs> At one, t- at one point in time, she was so upset at me, she refused to take communion because she didn't want to drink damnation to herself, which I respected. Yeah. I mean, I did. I thought, I was like, man, you really believe what you read. I appreciate that, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, I get done the service and everything, and, and, and was talking to her, and she says, uh, I didn't take communion because I was mad at you. I was like, well, I'm okay, sorry. And uh, exactly, you know, and she says, there's just things about my personality I'll never change. And I thought about it. I went home and I thought about that. And I'm thinking, what a sad place to be as a Christian. And you hear it all the time. That's just how I am. That's just who I am. That's just how I operate. That's just how I do things. So you had better get used to me being whatever I am. That's what you're saying. Everybody must bow to me and how I am. And how I view the world. In my opinions. But see, that's the world that you live in now. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got their own way of doing things. And bless God, we should just enjoy that and we should celebrate that. Can I tell you something? You're never going to affect anybody in this life if you don't learn to change yourself. Because if you look deep down inside of you this morning... You know what you'll find? There's probably some character flaws you have. There's probably some little idiosyncrasies that your wife or husband's been telling you about for some time. And you know what you need to do? You need to change them. There's some things that you need to change in your life. You say, well, how in the world do you do it? Jacob, he had some pretty stark realizations in this passage. Right? Because you know what the problem is? He's about to get into the fight of his life. And you know, sometimes what the Lord has to do is he has to get us to a place where it's just like he's putting us in the squeeze. He's putting us, he's putting us in that place that feels like there's so much pressure, there's so much problems, there's so many things going on. And what the Lord's trying to show you is that it's not everybody else around you. It's not your situation. It's not your home. It's not your husband. It's not your kids. It's not your job. It's not your friends. It's you. It's you. Think about Balaam. God tells him exactly what to do. You know what he does? He does his own thing. He does what he thinks he should do. God gave him an outline. And he does what comes natural. And so what did the Lord do? He puts him on the back of that donkey and he walks him down a path, and that thing is getting narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower, and that angel's standing there, and he can't see it. But that donkey can see it. And all of a sudden, he gets kicked off that donkey, and he's going to strike that donkey, and God's like, okay, I'll just let this donkey talk to this dude because he's not listening to me. Yeah. <laughs> right? 
He says, do you not see this angel with this massive sword in front of me? I can't go any further. And I think that's where a lot of people are in their lives right now. You feel like you're in the chute. You feel like you're in the squeeze. And what you can't see is there's a big angel in front of you that says, you're not going any further until we deal with something. There's something about you that needs to change. And I'm going to put you in this straight betwixt two until you come to your senses and realize, I got to do something about this. And I'm going to tell you something. That is not an easy place to be. <laughs> There's some things that Jacob realizes in this passage that if we realize them this morning, I think that we could get some help. I think that we could, we could change some things about ourselves and the Lord could do something with us just like he wants to do with Jacob, but he's got to fix this thing about Jacob's personality, this default mindset that he has. First thing he realizes, you know what he realizes? Is that he can't do this with all the distractions around. He's too distracted. He's got too much stuff going on. Listen, in verse 21 and 22, he says, So he went present over, uh, he said, he, uh, So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the Ford Jabbok. Could you imagine after all the surmising, after all the planning, all the fret and all the worry? You can see it on Jacob's face. He's got a smile on like he's in control, but by looking at him, you know that he's like freaked out. And he's trying to lay his head on the pillow that night, and he's been kind of short with his wives and, you know, not looking at them too. You know, he's just kind of being real direct, and he's telling the boys to go do this and do this, and he's trying to get everybody in place, and he's talking real short to people because he's under pressure. Men, you ever get that way when you're under pressure? It's like, okay, I got to focus now. And you're just like this, you do this, you do this, you do this. Because you're under pressure. You know? It's like it's go time. You should have that. That's a good thing to have. I don't blame him for that. I get that way sometimes. When it's, it's go time, it's go time. And get out of the way. Because <laughs> if you ain't going to go, I'm going to go. But man, he's got the... Wrinkles and sweat dripping down his face and he's trying to sleep and he can't sleep. His eyes are wide open. And he's laying down there and he's sweating it out and he's thinking his mind's going 100 miles an hour. He's thinking about every scenario. He's thinking about everything that could happen and he's running through his plan, double checking this. And I wonder if I did this. I wonder if I did this. And he's making a list and everything else and he's looking over there in the tent and he sees his boys and they're sleeping and his wives are sleeping and it's just him and his own thoughts and the pitch black darkness of that tent and his mind is running and his conscience is eating him alive. And he's saying, you know exactly why your brother's mad at you. You know exactly why you're feeling the way you're feeling right now. <laughs> you know exactly what's going on here. And you didn't tell me about it, but I already know. Right? And he's looking at his wives and he's feeling the pressure because what about, what if I'm supposed to take care of these ladies? I work 14 years for these ladies. I love these ladies. <laughs> Thank God we don't have ladies. Praise <laughs> God. Hallelujah. <laughs> so glad we're not in the Old Testament. <laughs> he's looking at 11 kids. Those boys looking up to him, 
following their dad everywhere he goes. Never seen their dad not have an answer to a question. Never seen their dad so much as sweat when problems come and arise. He always seems to know what to do. He always seems to have the right answer. He always knows how to navigate the situations. They respect their dad so much because he's been proven that he can handle these hard situations. And you know what? Their calm reliance on him puts even more pressure on him. And he's saying, there's a chink in my armor. And he knows it's there. And there's a moment in time he says, I can't just lay here in this tent with all these folks. Ah, and he wakes up and he looks over and says, honeys. They're like, what do you want? <laughs> He's like, I, I need you to get up. Go to sleep. <laughs> no, I need you to get the kids up. You're crazy. <laughs> it's the middle of the night. He says, get up. Got to gather the stuff. I thought we're doing this tomorrow. Just get up. Shut up and get up. You know, both of you. <laughs> you know what he does? He gets all the stuff together. He gets his kids together. They're all groggy, wiping stuff out of their eyes. And he goes over to the ford over the river Jabuk. You know what the word Jabuk means? Emptying. It means emptying. It means getting rid of all the distractions, all the pressures, all the things that are relying on you and you relying on them. You see, because they had an opinion about him. You imagine telling his boys that he's, he's got a character flaw? They don't believe it. His wives don't have an opinion. Thank God you're not in the Old Testament, ladies, because you wouldn't have had an opinion either. <laughs> but you got an opinion. Hallelujah. And they just see a strong man that they've been following, a strong man that was willing to work for them for seven years apiece, you know, and the love that he loved them, right? And you know what? They wouldn't give him an honest uh, interpretation of him at all. See, he knows something about himself that they don't know. The closest ones to him. And he says, I need to get away from all them. These are distractions. It's not that they were, that they were not bad at all. But his spouses, his kids, his responsibilities, because he's had his, his handmaids in there, his, his women servants in there. And all that he had, it says, he took them over Jabuk. And he just emptied them off for a bit. Because he knew that what was about to happen between him and the Lord could not take place with everybody else around him. Ladies and gentlemen, the importance of learning how to get by yourself cannot be stressed enough in the time in which you live. Because your world is designed for you to never be alone with your own thoughts. Your world is designed to distract you with everything. And you know what he had to learn to do? He had to realize, I need to get away. Get away from bad stuff? Had nothing to do with bad stuff. We're so far past that. Right? We're talking about somebody that wants to do something, has already been said he's going to do something, has been striving to do something for God. He now has to separate from those things. He has to realize there's a moment in time where I need to get by myself, apart from my wife, apart from my kids, apart from my job, apart from everything in my life. There has to be a place where I go to by myself alone with my God and alone with my thoughts. Amen. You say, well, I live in a little apartment. I live over here. Okay, you better find a place. 
Listen, there's been some times in my life I've told her, said, I'm going for a ride. I got to go. And I'll just drive around, me and the Lord having a conversation. You want to know why? Because he was about to have another... He's about to have another realization in this whole thing. Is that wrestling is a whole lot more difficult than you realize. It's a whole lot harder than you may think. We can watch it on TV and be like, man, that looks cool. Right? You ever watch a UFC fight or a boxing match or something like that? You know, and you're like, man, that's awesome. This guy knocks people out for a living. That's pretty cool. You ever try to go five minutes? It's hard, man. It's real hard. I was training jujitsu for a while, and they put five minutes on the clock. Man, it's like <laughs> you're dying at the end of five minutes. Five minutes wrestling around with someone trying to choke you out. It's hard. It's not easy. And you know, the Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And can I say this? The hardest wrestling platform that you have in your life is between your ears. And he comes out of that. He separates himself. The Bible tells you right there. He says, and Jacob was alone. And the only wrestling you can do with God is by yourself. And the Bible says a man was there and wrestled with Jacob until the break of day. Right? You know what's the hardest thing to wrestle with? The truth about yourself. You want to get somebody nice, red hot mad? Try this. Don't try it. You'll ruin relationships and all that kind of stuff. Tell somebody the truth about them. And see how they react. You see? They don't like that. I don't like that. (laughs) There's a time, there's a time, my wife, she, I asked for it. Never ask your wife something about yourself unless you really want to feel bad about yourself, you know. And I asked, I asked her one time, uh, you know, I said, well, how come, you know, this, you know, this uh, thing's going on over here? I'm not going to go into details. It's too embarrassing. But, uh, no, I asked her a question about a situation that we were in and something was going on. And she said, well, have you ever considered that maybe it's because you're like this? Well, who asked you? (laughs) Right? Why don't you shut up, you know? And it's like a it's like a gut punch, man. Like that knocks the wind out of you. And you're like, yeah, you're right. You're right. And you know what? He has to sit there and all of a sudden he's being confronted with, well, why'd you manipulate this situation? Why'd you do this? Right? He's manipulated, uh, he's manipulated Esau, his brother. He says, this problem's your fault. You mean it's not somebody else that I blame? It's not my upbringing? It's not my family? It's not... No, it's you. You like, to, you like to manipulate situations. You like to supplant. You like to use people. How about this? How about wrestling with your expectations for your life? How about wrestling with the thought of, well, this is how I thought it should have been. Well, this is how I think it should go. These are my opinions. This is how I feel. How to wrestle with your own feelings. You know how many people have feelings and opinions that are not rooted in Scripture? 
You understand that? Do you ever think that maybe those feelings and opinions hinder your own life? And how you, have, and how you uh, interact with other people? You know how many Christians I've watched tear down relationships, tear down kids, tear down homes because they had some conviction that wasn't rooted in Scripture? And they thought that that was the cross to die on? Ridiculous. And, and to have the ability to wrestle with those thoughts and, 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 and contemplate those things about yourself is one of the hardest things you will ever do. And here's Jacob getting slammed around. Boom! <laughs> you ever been slammed around before? Well, there was one time we, was, we were training over there at the gym, and uh, there's a guy, he was a brand new white belt. We gave him his white belt. I'm thinking, I'm going to destroy this guy. I mean, he's bigger, you know, but I was like, I don't care, you know. I know more technique than him. I did not know he was a Division I wrestler. I found out that that discipline translates very well into jujitsu. And that dude smoked me around that gym for 15 minutes. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. I'm just trying to not die. He's choking me out every two seconds. I mean, it seemed like it was like, okay, break, go. <laughs> it's like, okay, all right, let's uh, dab it up. Okay, let's go. <laughs> it's like dying, man. I'm like, this guy is insane. <laughs> right? Getting slammed around is very humbling. Especially when you're a grown man. You know what? Jacob's getting slammed around right now. He's not quitting, but he's getting slammed around. And you know what, it's, it's, I, I feel like this fight probably developed. See, in the first, I think, I see, I see uh, you know, Jacob, he's, he's probably on the offensive, you know. He's trying to read it. You ever talk to fighters or boxers or something like that? They tell you that a fight develops over the rounds in which they fight. You know, in the first two, three rounds, they say you're just collecting data. You're just watching what the other guy's doing. You're watching his hands. You're watching his feet. You're seeing if his hands are dipping. You're testing his cardio. You're testing how hard he hits. You're testing if he's using his jab. You're watching to see if he's dropping his hands. So you're watching for the openings that he's given you. And then in the middle of the fight, maybe you step it up a little bit. You know, you let him show your, you let him, you let him feel your power a little bit because you're not putting everything on your punches at first because you want him to get comfortable with the jab. You want him to get comfortable, you know, with your shots and your combos. And so now you're calculating the fight. And I can see that as the beginning of this thing happens, Jacob's just getting beat. To, he's just getting beat to death. And he's holding on. He's just surviving. And then eventually he starts to be on the offensive. And, oh, yeah, well, what about this? And, well, I've done this. And start relying on some of the accomplishments he had and some of the good things that have transpired in his life. And you know what? I think that towards the end of this thing, Jacob finds himself in a place where he realizes he cannot win. You say, how do you know that? Well, he tells you, he says that, <clears throat> uh, he says that um, in verse 25, and when he saw that he prevailed not against him, this is the angel, when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint, and he continued to wrestle with him. You see, Jacob was doing the best he could he realized that he had a need. He realized that there was something worth wrestling and fighting for, but he wasn't sure what it was. 
You ever been that way? You ever been that way where you realize you just feel like there's something off and you don't know why? I'm doing everything that I know to do that's right, but it still feels like everything's messed up. It still feels like everything's in shambles. It still feels like something's off. I was in Indiana there in that youth camp back in, was it 2013, 2014, somewhere around in there. And uh, I felt exactly that way. I was like, there's something wrong. I'm, I mean, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, I'm working my job, I'm, I'm doing this youth camp. It was the first year we had done it uh, with Anchor Baptist Church and everything, and the pastor got involved and, and whatnot. We were in Missouri before that. And with the situation that we were in in the church, I just was like, what in the world am I doing? Why do I feel this way? I knew something was off. There was something in the back of my mind like, I'm trying to do right, but it just feels like something's off. And I remember I walked down to the, the place where Dr. Peacock was staying, and I knocked on his door. And he answered the door, and he's like, I'm busy. <laughs> I was like, okay. He's like, come back later if you want. I'm like, all right. So I waited a little bit, and I went back down. I knocked on the door. He says, yeah, I just got on a call. You come back later. He blew me off three times. Completely blew me off. Finally, the fourth time I knocked on the door, I said, I'd really like to talk to you before we have service tonight. And you know what? It's one of the hardest conversations I've ever had in the ministry. It was. Because there were some things that I, was, I didn't even think of that I had allowed in the ministry, that I had allowed in, in, in my life that was about to destroy everything God wanted to do with me. Seriously. And you want to know something? That was a moment in my life where I just had to hold on for dear life. And I think that towards the end of this thing, you know what Jacob realizes? He's fighting against somebody that he cannot win against. You know, I think that the biggest thing for us to realize this morning is those things in your life, there's a reason you're feeling the way you are. There's a reason things aren't clicking the way they are. And you're the problem. There's something. And you know what? You know what it is about you. You know that you're a hothead. You know that you like to manipulate and use people. You know that you've got a problem with jealousy. You know that you've got a problem with bitterness. You know you've got a problem with envy. You know it. But you want to know something? You've made it work thus far. What's the big deal? But I want to tell you something. You're fighting against somebody you cannot win. What he realized in that moment, that guy just had to touch him and his, <coughs> his leg goes out of joint. And in that moment, I can see him grab that man by the leg and he can't be on the offensive anymore. He can just hold on to him for dear life. I can see him grasping his hands around that man's thigh. And he's saying, and the guy's saying, let me go. He's saying, I ain't letting you go. Let me go. I'm not letting you go. Because I know that there's something that needs to be accomplished here. There's something, and I want to change. 
I need to change. Something has to change. I cannot continue down this road the way I'm going. I'm sick and tired of it. And I've, and, and, and I've never thought the way that I'm thinking. I've never felt the way that I'm feeling. And I need to, something has to change and you can help me. And he grabs a hold of that man and he does not let go. And he asks him a question. He looks at him and says, well, what's your name? Well, my name's Jacob. Oh, so now you realize that's the first time that you've ever mentioned your flaw. I am a surplanter. I'm a manipulator. I use people. I'm Jacob. He says, all right. From here on out, you're not called Jacob anymore. Things change now. You know, it's funny. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but I was telling you in Sunday school, you know, a light on the passage in, uh, in Hosea. In Hosea chapter number 12, it is said of Jacob in verse 4, Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spake with us. The Bible says that he had power over the angel. Can anybody where you read in chapter 32 see where he had power over the angel? The angel touched him. And he just, his legs stopped working. What does it say here in the passage? He says in uh, and he said unto him, What is thy name? He said unto Jacob, He said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. You say, At what moment did Jacob prevail? And the Bible says he was at his most powerful moment. It was a lesson that God had to teach Paul when he besought him thrice to take this infirmity out of his flesh. And he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. For your strength is made perfect in weakness. Much gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know what the problem is sometimes, folks? We think of ourselves as too strong. You think of yourself as too strong. And you don't realize you're not ever going to change yourself until you realize you cannot change yourself. You're never going to change yourself. You're never going to change your personality. You're never going to change those things in your life until you realize that God is the one that has to touch you and you realize you can't win against Him and you better quit fighting against Him. Because at your weakest moment, you're at your strongest. And you want to know something? I've realized I can't change me. God's got to do that stuff. God has to do it. It's a working of God in your life. It's a working of the Holy Spirit in your life to what? To change you. To make you think differently. To make you act differently. To make you process things differently. To get rid of the bitterness. To get rid of the hatred. To get rid of the, 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 the jealousy. That takes God. You can't do it. But we have Christians that are so have a tendency to just... Walk around like we've got it all buttoned up. We're good. Been in church a long time. Been saved a long time. And everything is fine on the outside. You know what we need more of? I know this sounds hard. We need some more people to walk with a limp. 
leaning on their staff. I'm not all that. I'm not, I'm not some great thing to humble themselves and realize that you need him. You cannot manipulate the situation to make the thing work out. God will not allow you to do that. If you're going to do things for God, you've got to do it God's way, and you've got to realize that God is the one that brings the thing to pass. And if God wants your head chopped off by your brother, then it'll happen. You've got to learn to allow God the liberty to move in your life rather than you trying to take hold of it because that's your tendencies to do. When he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, that means you shouldn't be bitter and you shouldn't hold a harbor, uh, hard feelings towards people. You know what you should do? Let God take care of that because that's too big for you. I can't, I, can't, I can't dictate my life. Why? That's too big for me. God has to do that. He's the architect of my life. I don't do that. And so... The weaker we become, we realize the more power we have with God. And I just think that Jacob, he's sitting here and he's walking with a limp and they come up to him at the end of his life. And you know what? He says, it's been a rough journey. <laughs> it's been a long journey. There's a time in Jacob's life and you realize, you realize that this thing doesn't just happen when you're young. This is something you will, you will have to do multiple times in your life. Because there's coming a time there's going to be a famine in the land, and he's going to be older at that point. And there's going to be a little boy he doesn't want to give up. His name's Benjamin. He's going to say, unless you give up Benjamin, you're not going to eat. You know what he's got to do? He's got to continually learn to let go of what I think, what my view is, all I know is what the book says, and I'm trusting Lord Jesus Christ with everything that I have and everything that I'm doing. And guess what? If there's something about me that needs to change, Lord, here it is. You take it. You do what you want with it. I can't do it myself. I see that there's a problem. And Lord, if you're going to use me, you've got to change it. But Lord, here I am. And wrestle with it. You ever think of it's just a privilege that he lets us wrestle with him? When was, it, when was the last time you wrestled with God over something that you needed to change in your life? How much would it affect your marriage? How much would it affect your relationship with your kids and your coworkers and everything else? If what? You just spent a little bit of time wrestling. Exerted a little bit of effort. Got by yourself and tuned everything else out and just said, Hey, Lord, this thing about me has got to change. And, Lord, I don't know how to do it, and if you've got to take the hole of my thigh and rip my leg out of joint, then you do it. But Lord, I've got, this has got to change and I pray that you help me. Would you wrestle with him? Would you wrestle with him? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for allowing us to be in church. Pray, Lord, that you'd bless all that have come out, Lord. And uh, Lord, I pray that these thoughts that uh, you give me from this passage, Lord, that you would speak through them and, and help your people this morning to wrestle with the things about ourselves. It's funny how we spend so much time wrestling about what we see in other people. Father, maybe we could spend some time wrestling with the things we see in ourselves this morning. To draw a little bit closer to you, to be a little bit more effective in our ministry, where we work and our kids and our families. Would you help us this morning? I'm going to pray for a little bit. Amy's going to play something on the piano and
we won't sing or anything. We'll just allow some time for prayer, and then we'll be dismissed after this. But what you think this morning? Is there something about you? You find yourself in that position of things aren't what you think they should be, and you're underneath a lot of stress and pressure and problems, and things are happening, and why in the world are they happening this way? Well, maybe the Lord's trying to get the finger pointed at you. That's the hardest truth you'll ever face is the truth about yourself.